I'm Alan Weiss, and this is The Uncomfortable Truth. And this week, it's on Columbus. That instrument you just heard in the lead-in was a dulcimer. Dulcimers are Asian, I believe, and Columbus, of course, was trying to get a route to the Far East to access the riches and the wealth there to bring back to Europe. You know, when I was in school, once upon a time, we had all these days off. We had Lincoln's birthday off. We had Washington's birthday off. Now they're combined into one thing called President's Day, I believe. I don't even know if it's a holiday. We had Columbus Day off. I noticed the other day that the banks were closed on Columbus Day, but the stock exchange was open. I don't understand the rules anymore. But once upon a time, when I was growing up, he was revered. And we used to say in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and on it went. This great man who led a, a, a voyage of great discovery. Columbus was Genu- uh, uh, genuine, and uh, he was an Italian. Uh, Columbo was really uh, his name, not Columbus, Cristoforo Columbo. He was born in 1451, and he convinced King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain to finance his trip uh, on behalf of the Catholic monarchy. And they got greedy enough to say, we'll give you the money, and we want the riches, if they're out there. Thinking, again, he was going to the Far East. So try and get uh, to the riches of the East, he stumbles upon the Bahamas, and later Cuba and Hispaniola, and a lot of other islands. Now the Norse had established colonies in North America about 500 years earlier. He was hardly the first one here. And of course, America is named after America's Vespucci. He totaled four voyages, and he decided to call the indigenous people he found Indios. And hence, we call them Indians today when we're not politically correct. Litigation with colonial administrators after his trips and the crown uh, disagreeing with him brought him arrest and further court dates. He was trying to get the benefits he believed he was due from the voyages. He was trying to get his commission. When he was in the islands, when he was in North America, he promoted slavery, which was common at the time. He died at 54, probably from something called reactive arthritis. They thought it was gout, but today they think it's reactive arthritis from food poisoning, because on these voyages, there was very, very poor sanitation and food preparation. And they think that's where he contracted it. You can also get it from sexually transmitted diseases, but they think it was the food. There was a debate as to whether he was buried in uh, Spain or in the Dominican Republic, which is on the island of Hispaniola. And they did some rudimentary DNA testing, and they're pretty sure he's in, um, he's in Spain, his, his remains. Internal warfare and native diseases in the Americas, were killing off indigenous peoples long before Columbus arrived. I strongly suggest, if you're interested in this, in this crazy debate about him, read Charles C. Mann, M-A-N-N, Charles C. Mann. He wrote two books, among others. One is simply called 1492, and the other is simply called 1493. They're two different books. They're very scholarly, but they're fascinating reads about what was going on in North America among the indigenous peoples before Columbus got here and while he was here, and immediately afterwards. And it was not a case of the European spreading disease that killed anybody. I'm not talking about Cortez and the Aztecs here. I'm talking about what's the United States and the Caribbean. So what are we to make of all this? Well, here's what I make of it, for what it's worth. The uncomfortable truth. Columbus was bold. He sailed off into the void with no communications and no hope of recovery. You know, during those times, And well into the 20th century, for that matter, a ship lost at sea usually meant the death of all hands. He relied on primitive navigation, inferior crew trying to escape their own horrible backgrounds 
in Spain and Portugal, and unreliable equipment. The Santa Maria, his flagship, was a relatively small ship, and the Nina and the Pinta were very small. And here they were, tossed in the Atlantic, heading due west, trying to find a passage to the east. So he demonstrated the spirit of exploration and discovery. He was a man of his times, with all the strengths and weaknesses according to our current standards. People who risk their lives today are thoroughly monitored and assistance is always close by, with rare exception. The people who row across the Atlantic by themselves, they're followed by satellite. They have radio equipment on board. People who swim from Cuba to Florida or across the English Channel have boats with them. Some of them have shark protection with them. And so I don't try to make less of what they do, but they're monitored and they're watched and they're protected. About the only exception I can think of is this guy who climbed El Capitan, a free climb with no ropes. He falls, he falls. That's a brave guy. Maybe beyond brave, a little bit crazy, right? Slavery was a global practice among indigenous peoples. Slavery was widespread among indigenous peoples. It could not have existed in the 19th century during the, uh, the lead into the Civil War and during the Civil War without the active assistance of African chiefs in the interior because it was very dangerous for white slaveholders, white slave traders, to go into the interior. Disease killed them, and despite whatever weapons they had, they were far outweaponed and outnumbered by the native population. And so they made deals with chieftains in Africa who themselves had slaves and who themselves made enemies into slaves. And by the way, you know, the greatest slave trader in the history of the United States was John Brown and his family, the Brown family. And there's a university here about 15 minutes from where I'm recording this called Brown University. They don't want to change their name, but that's for another time. Disease was also very common among everyone. It was a horrible time. The average lifespan in Europe was between 30 and 40, and it was worse elsewhere. And so people were dying. Columbus caused people to suffer because he advocated and he supported slavery. The Spanish uh, colonial management certainly exploited people, and there's no doubt that it was horrible for the indigenous peoples. I make no excuses for it. I'm simply saying those were the times. Now, to look back on that, we don't improve the present by trying to eradicate the past. We only endanger our future. And in fact, if you examine that just a bit more closely, do we stop honoring the works of people, of men and women, of humanity, because they are flawed? Because if we do, if we tear down the statues of Columbus and take them out of the history books and we revile him instead of revere him, then I would suggest to you, to be intellectually consistent, everyone should stop listening to Wagner, burn the records, burn the uh, notations, and kill the music, because Wagner was a notorious anti-Semite. We should not buy any Ford automobiles, because Henry Ford was a virulent anti-Semite. We shouldn't buy any Japanese cars, because of the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, because of immoral and unethical medical experiments, because of the Bataan Death March, because of the rape of Nanking, and because of what they did to Korean women. No more Japanese cars in this country. We shouldn't consider John F. Kennedy as any kind of role model 
and maybe impeach him in retrospect, ex post facto. He was a war hero, but he was a philanderer. While he was married to Jackie, he had women in the White House, sexual encounters right and left, including Marilyn Monroe. We should take Mickey Mantle the hell out of the Hall of Fame in baseball. A drunk, an irresponsible person. We need to get off our high horses because a hundred years from now, people will be appalled by our behavior today unless they can free themselves in the future from this poison of presentism. Why don't we try doing that now? There's the uncomfortable truth.